everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports and innovation and technology and media and sponsorship, and the list goes on and on and on because it's a big old crazy business. And I'm privileged to be doing this every week with my longtime partner, Joe Favrito. Joe, good to be with you again. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been together for one. So uh, how are you? Tom, all I can say is I still have my blue check mark. It's, <laughs> okay. It's well, you Friday. knew that was you know that was going to be the it's first the second Friday in November. Right. So it's November 11th, and I've survived the purge of or gray check marks or not spending eight dollars, <laughs> uh, not spending eight dollars in crypto through an FTX exchange, which you can't do that anymore. Oh my God, Joe! I just I just yeah. rewatched and 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 tweeted. The Super Bowl commercial with Larry David. It, it's really, as I said, it's it's gonna it's a it's the runaway winner of the most meta commercial of twenty twenty two. It's really funny to watch. Now, by the way, that was a two and a half minute spot. So if those spots were going for six mil per minute, um, I, what it was six mil for thirty seconds? I guess whatever. That was a very expensive investment. Not to well, mention the Miami Heat arena, the MLB umpire sponsorship, et cetera, et cetera. So um, here it is, November 11th, and actually, I give credit to Darren Ravel for putting something out yesterday amidst all this madness, where he talked about that if 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 it is true that Odell Beckham took all his contract with the Los Angeles Rams in crypto last year, he actually owes the Los Angeles Rams eighty thousand dollars now. Oh, he, that's the number. <laughs> he owes him eighty thousand. That's classic. Yeah. Anyway, on uh, the crypto thing was crazy, but um, kind of not a surprise. But what we're witnessing right now with social media, the problems Meta are having, the layoffs this week, what what's happening with Twitter, which is nothing short of um, insane, in my opinion. I actually listen, Joe. I know we talked about this a little bit separately. To that, um, it was called "Advertising the Future." Twitter Spaces on Wednesday. I listened to the whole thing. It was Elon. And the now former head of privacy and trust, UL, uh, and then a woman who I guess was in product or something like that. So the main takeaway for me and probably the 100,000 plus listeners, by the way, that were on that call was that he's kind of making it up as, a, as he goes along. This is not a well thought out plan. If it is, it, it was not evident in what he said. And there were good questions, but I wouldn't say it was convincing. And having been in the media planning biz when I was young, there's no way I'd be spending money on Twitter right now for my big brand. Not even the $8 as a subscriber. Um, But anyway, the interesting upshot of that, Joe, which I texted you about this morning, was that UL, key guy at the company, was out of the company 24 hours later. The guy on the Twitter spaces two days ago is now out of the company. So uh, I used the word spiraling with you and some others I was talking to, and I'm not being overly dramatic. If, if they lose their big advertiser base or a, a good portion of their advertiser base and they don't get traction, which I don't think they will with the subscription revenue, which he wants to now be 50% of the business, which I think is delusional, um, they're, just, they're just hemorrhaging too much money. And at a certain point, he actually invoked the word bankruptcy at one point this week. So yeah. anyway, this is really insane. This this might be an epic business story that we're living through right now in the history and, of our uh, business. And bankruptcy, as I said, on November 11th is the letter that FTX put out this morning. So, yes, right. <laughs> so yeah. um, the good news out of all this, if there is some, is 
if you are a startup or an established business looking for really smart young people in the tech space, mm-hmm. you have literally have thousands of people who you can now go and hire, assuming that they want to work. And right. you know, the one thing that I that I saw, which was interesting, and this will transition really well to our guest, is the one thing that he, Elon Musk did say is he's going to require people to come into the office. And and having been around, I was in Washington this week talking to a, a lot of people, and that whole come back into the office thing for young people is still like almost a break thing, but yet I think the teams, the businesses that I, I'm starting to see better are finding that balance where you literally need that, hey, I'm gonna walk down the hall and get somebody's opinion on something that moves things along a lot faster than doing what we're doing right now, which is on Zoom. Yeah, I, I, I for one think that it should be hybrid based on the, discre- yep. the nature of the business and the discretion of the management, things like that. Um, I think in the knowledge economy, it's been proven certainly the first year and a half of COVID or two that a lot could be accomplished remotely. Um, what I didn't like about that attitude was it's really out of step with the mindset of a lot of young people, at least that I know of, um, which is like you, pretty a, a pretty big group. And, and also it just, it's probably not the best time to be acting um, kind of unpleasantly to employees, let's say, because he just did it. If you, re- if you, I read all the stuff that he sends out, I, all the leaked emails and stuff like that. He just has this weird attitude, like he knows be- yeah, better weird, than anybody weird, in the weird world. Is the right word. Yeah. So. Anyway, let's let's move on to something more interesting, yeah. and and some of the stuff we mentioned will come up in this conversation. Um, Wow. If I actually read our guest's resume, Joe, we would need uh, probably the next half an hour. And it's funny, you guys were kind of making fun of me. And I rolled my eyes a little bit when we said, I, I honestly, I mean, I don't know how we're going to do this in 45 minutes. All right. Well, we're going to do a shot. Let's call, let's call wait, this. Wait, before you say that, so Andy, I brought your name up uh, at a conference and Tom will introduce you in a second. So you don't have to say anything. And there were four separate people who said, I knew Andy from somewhere. And they were all four different places yesterday, which was really yep. funny. Well, that's a good that's a good segue to how I would introduce Andy Dolich. Um, one of the most um, impressive resumes you're going to find in the sports business. He's got over five decades of working in executive positions in four of the big the four big leagues, as they say. So NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB. Um, which is kind of amazing. That's a very, very exclusive club. Maybe Andy, you know the other members. You can tell us about them, but that really is kind of incredible. But what's really interesting about the career, it's it's taken so many twists and turns. Uh, it's really fascinating. And what I what I admire, I don't know Andy that well, I, I haven't met him before, um, is how he's kind of reinvented himself along the way to kind of adapt to the changing times, which I think is very instructive to everybody, hopefully listening, who's thinking about their own careers. Um, to the point where he's now working for an entity that a lot of people now, increasingly number of people in the business know about, but I think are still mystified by, which is the fan controlled <laughs> sports and entertainment thing, better known uh, familiarly as fan controlled football, but there's also fan controlled baseball, which Andy, by the way, is the commissioner of. Um, he's also, he writes, he does pods. I understand Andy, you're teaching, it's done, doing some teaching at Stanford. I mean, I don't know where you get the time to do everything you're doing. Very impressive, but we're thrilled to have you on our show. Andy Dolich, welcome to The Cusp Show. Well, it's great to be with you, uh, Tom and Cindy. Uh, Joe, we'll figure that out later. Um, but 
uh, and, and you talk about looking through the windshield and not the rearview mirror. Uh, Joe and I worked at the beginning of the basketball tournament. And yep. Joe, what is it, 10 years ago? Which is it is really? It is. I think this will be the wow. 10th season. So the good news is that we're upright, we're breathing. And I, I would just uh, think about Columbia first. There's many ways we can go, but... Uh, please say hi to my longtime friend, Peter Pilling, and he's still uh, in the AD's chair. Mm -hmm. okay. yes. I was lucky enough to spend some time with the legendary Bill Campbell, mm -hmm. um, who uh, played and coached and then only became one of the most significant tech people on the face of the globe. And, and by the way, before you leave Bill Campbell, and we've said this before, The Trillion Dollar Coach is the book that everybody Yes, has. read it, read it, read it. And, you know, I don't know too many other people that walked on Sunday for many years with just one other guy named Steve Jobs, right? They walked through Palo Alto, just talking about stuff every Sunday. And as a Brooklyn-born, Long Island-raised punk, that's how I like to describe myself, um, you know, all the different groups, Boy Scouts, this and I think it was, I know there's a corporate name now or an individual's, but we went to Baker Field to see the Lions play football. Uh, those two places were road trips from Valley Stream, Long Island. We went to two places, Baker Field and also uh, West Point. And, you know, let's, let's also spend a moment and understand that this is Veterans Day today. No, I'm glad uh, we have so much happening in our world. And when we talk about, you know, Bitcoin and cyber this, and let's think about the incredible men and women that give us the ability uh, to do what we do every day and live in relative safety in the United States of America. So let's not well, lose that. And to your opening statement, uh, I live in what I call Siliconia, and people go, where is that? And I go, well, that's my name for the Silicon Valley. And, you know, 40 billion just doesn't get you what it used to get you, right? <laughs> just, you know, you just drop 40 billion, you fire everybody, and then realize the people you fired actually help run your business and go, okay, you're not fired anymore. Come on back. Yeah. Uh, last thing I'd say in the opening is I've been fired two times. Um, they were resignations, right? Resignations. And I was actually fired face to face by the owner slash CEO, not by text, not by TikTok, not by something in the cloud, but by an actual human being. And I just don't know what it would feel like to go, oh, you 40,000 people, you're terminated. Hit the send button. Uh, so life, life has changed a bit. Um, I've been lucky from, as I said, growing up as a Long Island punk to have a career that I could only have dreamt about. Yeah, Joe, I've got a bunch of questions teed up, but you want to take the first one? Um. What's you talk about the two places that you were fired um, or re, re, resigna, resignated to? Um, 
what's Andy, what's the theme with all the places that you've been in from the eighties to the Grizzlies to, you know, all the other stops that you've had. Uh, the one, the one thing that's tantamount to success everywhere you've been. Good question. It's, it's so very simple and so very difficult, Joe teamwork, leadership, and trust. Teamwork, leadership, and trust. I think, what do we have? 122 teams in the big four sports, uh, you know, throw in MLS and many others. So put 200 and then look at colleges and events. Look deeply into those organizations over time, not having a great breakthrough year and then disappearing. How many of them throughout the organization, the team side, the business side, the finance ownership have teamwork, leadership, and trust. Mm -hmm. I've been involved with 11 or 12, and I can't say that they all had that. Uh, number one for me would have been my 14 years with the Oakland A's. We had it. Uh, my nine-month gestation period with Chris Cohan at the Golden State Warriors, we didn't have it. He didn't have it. And different ownerships and time can change, but Literally, you just think about great organizations, not just in sport, but in any business, how many of them really exemplify teamwork, leadership, and trust on a daily basis over a long period of time? All right, a quick follow-up to that. So you've obviously worked for and interacted with most of the major leadership in the history of sports over the last couple of decades. What specific people do you look up to in the business as good leaders? as models? Uh, first of all, uh, just because I mentioned it before, the Haas family, Walter Haas, Wally Haas, Roy Eisenhart, I mean, Sandy Alderson, so many people that we had there. Uh, Walter Haas, here's a simple explanation. Uh, hypothetically, you know, I flew across the country, you know, six hours in a plane sitting next to Walter Haas. And somebody goes, hey, you were talking to that guy. Do you know who that guy was or is? And I go, yeah, that's Wallace. He loves to fly fish. He's, he loves the University of California at Berkeley. He's got a great family. He invests in the environment. He goes, no, you moron. The guy's the chairman of the number one apparel company on the face of the earth, part of Americana, Levi Strauss. And I go, no, nah, never brought it up. Never, never <laughs> brought it up in six That's hours so crazy. it's it walter and the family always uh sort of jump out at me um it, because we've had personal experience with them joe and i david stern yeah. um david stern was an absolute futurist and one tough cookie when that door david was very diplomatic right joe publicly when the door closed Oh my God. Not exactly. You so. did not want to be there. He would make a Marine drill instructor drop to his knees and start weeping. When, <laughs> when those that know, you talk to like a, a uh, incredible person like Rick Welts, who spent his entire adult life in and around the NBA, uh, David could really peel paint. But the whole concept of the NBA becoming a global force. Uh, and we'll get back to, you know, where I started with the 76ers. So David definitely jumped out to me as an incredible leader. Uh, Peter Uberoth, 
um, was also a person that I got to work with when he came in and he broke a few bats in baseball, but what he did at the LA Olympics, what he's continued to do, um, you know, those are some individuals. There are literally hundreds of people that we could go down the list, uh, but they they sort of jump out to me uh, as individuals that had that leadership just imbued in their spirit. Uh, just a quick follow-up, Andy. When it, when you have the opposite problem, where there's an organization that, because of let's let's say it's questionable or poor leadership, real serious problems arise. And I'm thinking of the the current situation at the Washington Commanders right now, which seems to be in the news every day. It right. seems like I, I don't know how this is all going to be resolved, other than the fact that it has been announced that they allegedly are right. perhaps for sale. But what is a commissioner or, or league or other ownership to do? Like the NBA figured out a way to act on the Sarver situation in Phoenix earlier in the year. But have you ever been close to that kind of situation where there's a problem for the brand, for the shield, and something needs to be done about it? Yeah, I mean, the first, and I was just literally reading a piece uh, on the interview with Adam Silver about the Kyrie Irving scenario. Yep. But I think back to Adam, and people didn't know Adam unless you knew Adam. Right. And Adam was the first person to say he's not a matinee idol. Um, but what he learned, um, the decisions that he was involved in. And when he made that decision with Donald Sterling way back when, that cemented him as a leader. That showed mm -hmm. everybody in the universe you don't represent what we're trying to build as a league. You're gone. It wasn't six months and lawyers and all that. And, you know, what he's done uh, also uh, with the Suns. Uh, and now he's got, you know, he, he's got a different situation with Kyrie and, and he's working with it diplomatically. Um, you know, I saw it with Chris Cohan, uh, who owned the Warriors for 14 years, um, you know, bought it for 135, sold it for 450, but had no strategy. Many owners in sport, believe their tactics are strategies. Tax, tactics go into building a strategy. Right. They aren't strategies. And if you look at Dan Snyder, I only had one involvement, although I went to school in DC when the Redskins were it. I mean, that was the most powerful place mm -hmm. in the world on Sunday in the owner's box with, who was it? Edward Bennett Williams and other people like that. Um, but I was at a league meeting when I joined the 49ers, sitting with some colleagues. Uh, we were at some hotel in Florida and Dan Snyder came in with his posse, looked at our group and said, hey, uh, I need that chair. Like, no, buddy, we, we got this chair. And I knew it was Dan Snyder, but like literally 30 seconds, all of us looked at each other. And this has to be 10 years ago or longer, like, good luck with that. And those little snippets yeah. will show you whether somebody has it or not. Right. But I mean, just one level deeper on that question and answer. Do the owner, the other owners who are the most influential advisors to the commissioner strategize as to how to actually follow through 
on perhaps getting an owner to sell or remove from the league? Well, they do, but you also have to look in the mirror that they are all owners. And every single one of us are less than perfect. And one of the areas that I sort of laugh at today, Tom, is, oh, that's a secret. Like, what galaxy are you living in? There are no secrets. So if you've done something really dumb, stupid, ridiculous 10 years ago, five years ago, or five minutes ago, it's coming out. Um, and so in some instances, it takes a spine to sit in that room of owners and talk to the commissioner or others and say, I am going to make a decision which could penalize this person, which may rebound back to me. Um, it, again, takes some guts. And if you just um, look through all the leadership groups and individuals in sports, you'll see the people that represent quality day to day, month to month, decade to decade, and others that don't. And as we talked about at the beginning, because of money, you have so many new owners that have these teams as nothing more than a bauble as part of their multi-billion dollar holding company. Loss, how does the emotional ride of wins and losses in a business where, you know, it's the only one that's really judged by daily what other people are doing on the field, how does right. that impact culture? What I've seen and what we're living through is, again, being involved with multiple decades and you go, yeah, I started in sports before ESPN. And people would laugh like, that's funny. Yeah. And I go, no, that's real. Um, where people read something called the newspaper. Remember that? Re newspapers. Um, and I, I don't mean to negate it, but social media, we have sort of a nanosecond attention span. I read this, that's my opinion. Like you read what? You got a tweet, you got a Facebook post, you saw something for a nanosecond. Why don't you dig deeper? Why don't you truly understand what the heck you're talking about? And so you really have to spend some time in the belly of the beast with an owner or an ownership group and truly understand what do you want out of this? You know, what, what is your strategic goal and objective? And I must say that in various ownership groups, they couldn't enunciate, they could not define, Joe, what their goal and objective was. But I own this. Man, I'm sitting at courtside with so-and-so. I'm written up here. I'm on the society pages, which don't exist anymore. But uh, look at this picture with me with, uh, you know, this Grammy award-winning singer, wait a second, aren't we owning this to A, be the best team that we can to win championships and to serve our fan base and our sponsors and those associated with us to the highest level that we can. Mm -hmm. Andy, can you, uh, let's, let's talk about something that will help us segue into a little bit about uh, fan-controlled sports and entertainment, which is just a fascinating kind of, I would call it a real-time experiment right. about the evolving uh, nature of sports and sports viewing and sports participation. So it's it's a well-known fact, uh, something we talk about in our program, I'm sure you talk about your teaching, God knows you're probably living through it as an executive, that there's a bit of a problem with Gen Z. 
for traditional sports to the point you just made shorter attention span. We've got cord cutting, simply don't have access to some of the content that was usually in, in his, historically freely available on broadcast TV. Um, you've got a long tail of distractions uh, ranging from the, the social media platforms, which are meant to, they're built to be addictive to video gaming and related stuff uh, in the world of esports. Um, binge opportunities with great, you know, it's, it's a golden age of great dr dramatic and comedic content right now because of all the streaming services. So it's not a given that this next generation is going to behave like the past number of generations in terms of their kind of foray into the into sports fandom. And I, I'm fascinated by this topic. And one reason I know Joe's involved with them, I'm a big admirer of sports information, uh, sports innovation lab, is that they talked about the fluid fan. I'm sure you're familiar with the concept. Right. Basically, uh, 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 that's what people are in Florida these days, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, but basically, this this kind of new fan to contend with, whether you're the NFL or your Major League Pickleball or your fan control football, you're kind of dealing with this new challenge that, frankly, really wasn't there for the early days we were all in the business. Talk right. about that for a minute, just kind of broadly, sure. and and then home in on like what you what what the FCF idea okay. is all about. First, yeah. I can I give you the students and others an assignment because sure. I, I I know it exists. As long as it's not, not when does it do? Is it is it real? It's like real due whenever they want it to be due. Okay. <laughs> so we have you know Gen Z, okay, and we're past Gen Z already. We're past that. Gen Alpha. Yeah, Gen Alpha now. Yeah, so that's my question. I don't buy Alpha. It's it's not very creative. Can somebody come up with what <laughs> will grab people after Z? I'll leave that as the assignment. Okay. Alpha. okay. By the way, I want to flip that to Cindy. Cindy Leon okay. should be handling Cindy, it. can you do that? Because Alpha is just, no. That's a, that's a hanging curve. Well, we're at the end of the alphabet, so... That's a really interesting thought. That next age group is what, seven to 11 or something like that. I don't have my demographic. I think up to like roughly 13, 14. Yeah, now. so we, that's the assignment, Cindy. All right. So if you can get your group on that yeah. and uh, by uh, two o'clock Pacific time, if you can license that, have a website yeah. and craft. Buy the, buy the domain, get the handle. <laughs> yes, yeah. then I'll appreciate it. Buy a blue yeah. check. Um, hey, hey um, Andy, before you go into fan control football, I think it would be good because, you know, you talk about second acts and you've had many second acts and um, not just fan control football, but you touched on the basketball tournament and some of the other things that you've been involved with. So maybe ending up at FCF, but that that kind of cadre of the last Right, five or six years of people who've come to you with ideas, good, bad, or indifferent. That that you've been able to <laughs> we've all heard many of them. Wait, wait, but I do want to hear your thoughts on you know, before you go there. It's a good way to kind of tie it together. All right, I'm so confused <laughs> now, Cindy. I think we need to. Yeah. No, no, actually, Joe raises a good point, but tie it back to this broader question. I mean, are are you are you um, how how are you addressing this issue of the changing face of fandom? Yes, yeah, all together. Put it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, if you would have said there's a pickleball tsunami uh, sweeping the United States of America five years ago, the authorities would have been called, right? And they'd said, 
did you just say what I thought you said? Uh, yeah, oh, Bronny's into it, this, that. You can't, I still play basketball. I shoot outside and I spend most of my time retrieving bad serves in pickleball that are being played on the asphalt next to me. Literally, truly, I never had to worry about it. Now I'm going to break my ankle on a, on a you know, a pickleball <laughs> that somebody missed. Um, in terms of this generation, I think one of the challenges is we have a significant lack of institutional knowledge that people are not necessarily, the young men and women are not necessarily reading what the foundations were that sport was built on. And they go, well, we'll just do this. Soccer, it's an overnight success. I can say, oh, yeah, it only it was an overnight success that took 60 years. I mean, I was in the old NASL. So don't give me overnight successes. Don't give me wow, wow, wow. I'm brilliant. Um, and so what it comes down to me is give them something that's compelling. Understand that we have multiple channels of communication, but use those to communicate. The two biggest things that drive me crazy is individuals of maybe a younger age. I'm really busy. Like, yeah, oh, you're the only person in North America that's really busy. Give me a freaking break. Or, oh, um, uh, you know, I can't get back to you. You have 914 digital channels to get back to me. Just get back to me and tell me, don't ever talk to me again. Leave me alone. Or I'll get back to you in six months when I return from my sabbatical. Um, so it's common human decency that to a certain extent is being lost. If you are being interviewed for a job in front of me, put your damn phone down. You know, that, that's not going to get you a job. Yeah. Do, you allow, um, do you allow phones and laptops in your classes? Uh, I do because they're all Zoom these days. Okay. When when we are live, no, other than if a important game is going on and we're crypto betting in the class, I need okay. to get up to the minute scores. But yeah. no, okay. I wouldn't because I want their eyes on whatever is happening. That's so funny. You just did that. I mean, for those listening, the eye thing. I I said the same. I said the same thing because I don't allow it in my class. And I say the same thing in the beginning of the semester. For uh, give me two, give me two hours to focus. You can do the digital. Right. We all do digital stuff when we're awake, basically all hours. Yeah. So let's two hours. Let's actually try and, to break And the step. point is that there's so many different forces of nature in the digital world coming at you that if you can't concentrate, it doesn't matter how you're getting it. If you can't concentrate on one area for a, the amount of time that you're going to need then you're not going to be the kind of person that an organization wants to hire that can move up the chain. It's like you look at, and nothing against analytical metricists or metrical analysts, whatever they're called, and, and the IT department of organizations, or I've gone to 14 Sloan's and I know everybody. Great. But what skills do you have to lead an organization? other than what you can give me from an analytical metrical standpoint. How do you measure heart and soul through analytics and metrics? I don't know if that specifically answers the question, but I want people, again, to concentrate as we talked about. I, I will remember this forever. Uh, my son who was growing up when I was at the A's 
he would come and be with me on the field and batting practice. And we had Reggie Jackson, uh, you know, doing some coaching for us. And Reggie's a very forceful person. And I introduced him to my son. And, you know, Corey was probably 14 at that time. And Reggie just looked at him and said, son, let me tell you something. The eyes are a window of a man's soul. And that has stuck with me and stuck with Corey because you see kids, they would look at the ground and scuff their shoes and all that. You better pick your head up and look at what's going on around you, not um, in your brain, not stuff that's buzzing around, but see what's happening in the environment. That's sort of how I look at it, Tom. And, and that's how you have to appeal um, a segue to FCSE. I've always been a big believer in what I call immersive sports and entertainment. Fans of all natures, whether they're 80-year-old curmudgeons or eight-year-old super-duper thumb-capable people, uh, they want to be inside the belly of the beast. They want to make decisions. They want to show everybody their knowledge of the sport. And so you obviously... You acted on that. You didn't just talk about it. You acted on it. Well, and, and Joe can say when we first started talking about the basketball tournament, people said, what are you going to do? Oh, the NBA, they'll just take that over and you guys will be dead. Well, we all advised John Mugar and said, no, don't, don't talk to the NBA. Let's just do it because there are thousands of talented basketball players around the world and bingo, you know, each year it got bigger and better. Um, when the, the young gentlemen uh, of fan controlled sports came to me six years ago and talked about this, I went uh, after listening, I went, okay, I'm in because it was the opportunity through technology to give fans what they want more and more of, which is to get inside the game. And we can talk for a long time about which sports and entities are letting people in the game and which sports and activities are still keeping people outside and how that's negatively affecting them. So the, uh, the ability of our technology in fan-controlled sports and entertainment when we would tell people what we were several years ago, they go, wow, that's a cool video game. And then we go, no, 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 no. It's real football. It's arena football. You'd explain it again and go, oh, I got it now. What a cool video game. And you go like, no, no, look at it. It's real people playing. And now we're going into season three, looking at other sports. And you look at what's happening in, in all sports to marry technology and the unpredictability of sports that I think is the magical part of this. Mm -hmm. um, and you guys did some pretty interesting stuff with NFTs early on. Um, you've seen, I mean, we could go back and talk about, you know, bobbleheads, pogs, and 85 million collectibles <laughs> over the years. Um, your thoughts on on the digital collectible space versus the traditional collectible space, and um, I have my own views on this. And um, would, would I do too, Joe. I do. Too. How you marry? How do you marry them? Can you yeah. marry? Them? Um, and you know, you you talk about people being dinosaur like and and all that. 
I still have a difficult time of people in front of me at the local caffeinated cafe with their hashtag. I got money. All right. Here's my money. Give me my coffee. These, but their hashtag isn't working. It's upside down. The reader isn't working. Like, come on, let, let's get real here in terms of what's working and what's not. So I am sort of an outsider to a certain extent in fan control sports and entertainment. I, I think I understand, you know, how NFTs work and, and all of that. But I was just thinking that uh, the 125th big game between Cal and Stanford is being played a week from Saturday at FTX Field in Ooh. Berkeley. Ouch. I didn't realize that was FTX. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> so you figure Cal Berkeley, there's some pretty brainy people there, right? Uh, yeah. How's that working out for you? <laughs> so, and, and arenas that are named and all this other stuff. So I, I like if it's backed by gold and platinum. And right, so, right. But, but wait, before yeah. you go down that road, we're, this is a different thing. Cryptocurrency is different than I think what Joe was getting at. Yeah, because yeah. we're talking about fandom and collectibles yeah. and kind of the sports business. The crypto thing, <laughs> we just talked about this in my class the other day. That's really just kind of classic sports sponsorship. And one thing we can all attest to is that the sports business folks can never resist the easy money. And, oh, absolutely. No, and I, that's what this is an example of first and foremost. I was back, going, yeah, yeah, I was okay. going off the trail of going, yeah. you know, cyber and the cloud and yeah. people are listening going WTF. But, but no, to, to Joe's money? point, you know, getting us back on that track. I mean, I, I actually got into NFTs partly just to educate myself as right. a teacher and as an executive. And I actually got some of the NFTs from you guys uh last yep. year nights of dgen actually i still yes. have them by the way yes um so i'm waiting to cash in so you so you got to give and, me some and insider I, and trading I did, tips here i did it too um <laughs> anything that's new right is going to take time and is going to have to filter out and and be smashed um the whole concept of people buying you know, logos, creating their own logos and all that time and having a monetization example, I think we're in the middle of a Cuisinart and I'm not enough of an expert to really say how it's going to come out. But when you see hundreds of millions or billions of dollars evaporate so soon, um, you know, that's problematical. Um, and Again, going back to, you know, what has value, what doesn't, and who stays with it, even if it's injured for a while, and stays with it because they believe in the ultimate concept. That's a challenge in today's world, because we are so cosmetic in many of our choices. Oh, that's cool. It looks great. I'll buy it. Ooh, not so good. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure that specifically answers the question. We're trying to build as many touch points as we can through fan-controlled sports and entertainment with a younger demographic um, that understands the equation. So do you, is, is there anything you can say publicly about how it's doing? Like, are, are, are enough people responding to the concept, to the actual opportunity, to, to the entertainment value to the participation aspect 
et cetera, where you feel like it can scale? Uh, are we talking about the larger concept? No, I'm sorry. I'm I meant FC, like this concept of kind of reimagining how you'd marry uh, an right. IRL sport experience with technology yeah. and letting and letting fans actually have that immersive sports experience. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not sitting, you know, with our chief financial officer going over that or Saurabh Faroudi or our other founders who are way more educated uh, in this area. Uh, but clearly, you know, this is a bubbling pot uh, on the burner that doesn't have a clear ending just yet. Our, I, I would say this, our focus is if you put, um, you know, NFTs aside is focused on immersive sports and entertainment. So you don't necessarily have to buy in to nfts or the concept of crypto to be involved in enjoying the game and buying merchandise whether it's real or imagined joe i think you're muted that's that's an oxymoron that's weird <laughs> you remember doing that anyway, really? um, <laughs> i thought it was maybe elon musk taking action against joe's uh 20 plus followers yeah. Yeah. i mean we're not you know tom and joe we're not we're not quite at the point where we're flying our nfts with bezos and elon to the moon and playing uh fcf games there just yet but to your point about you know, monetization, building a business. We're heading into season three of fan-controlled football. We will have fan-controlled hoop uh, sometime in the summer of 24. And I am working on fan-controlled baseball also later 24. Um, and so there's enough investment capital, both real through sponsorship Progressive, Burger King, IBM, and also those that are on the cutting edge. And that's the mix that we're looking for, that Cuisinart that I referred to, uh, how how the recipe comes out, I, I think that's still a bit of a question. All right. So so the quiz going back to the Cuisinart, which probably most people listening to this don't know what that means. <laughs> um, Oops, sorry. So you take... Um, the the traditional the safe let's call them the safe the investment in traditional sports whatever the stick and ball sports are uh you take what you're doing um now with fcf and what you had done with with tbt and some of the other projects you were working on um and investors are investors looking for especially in the economy we're in right now given what's happened in recent days with the crypto space where money was flowing in that may not be given the gambling space it's been kind of challenged right now right are investors looking for hip and new and how do you sell hip and new uh be it you know everything from professional fishing to cornhole who i met both chairmen yesterday <laughs> which was interesting uh can i join um, the professional fishing league because you know i do pretty well, well right yeah you need a scandal you need a scandal no i i have a former colleague at the memphis grizzlies who's the marketing director for one of the pro <laughs> bass fishing leagues yeah. like go figure it huh? so so how do you attract money to yeah. say we're, we're going to start an nwsl franchise in the bay area which may or may not happen soon right or we're going to spend on 
cornhole or fan control football or something else that, that yeah. or, or even pickle, pickleball yeah. So. yeah um simply stated uh and we're living through it right now the the lack of teamwork between the red team and the blue team is a bit frustrating is that the understatement of today's session we'll leave it at that yes. that being said sport of any type all around the world and what shape is the world in it's a ball mm. it's not an oblong okay. it's not a pyramid it's a ball we'll come back to that if we <laughs> sorry have any i couldn't time. resist that joke. but <laughs> we sport is in my view and always has been a town square and maybe the last town square left in many societies where people of all backgrounds can get together and celebrate the greatest athletes of their world, men, women, kids, what have you, playing sport at a very high level. And so uh, from your question, Joe, about investors and all that, they see the just absolute um, brokenness of some businesses of some entities but sport even though it's less than perfect um they do represent this town square unbelievable uh what's a recent example tennessee oh we'll have a hundred thousand people come on the field and just celebrate the living heck out of you know beating bama and we'll see it this weekend in different sports from little league to soccer to hoop that's what these entities are looking for because that is a magnet and if we look at the growth of nba basketball as a global entity referring back to david and adam if we look at the growth of soccer slash football f-u-t-b-o-l with a with an asterisk or whatever um those are the two real growth sports in the world others are growing but those two sports are there because all you need is a ball, boy or girl. Um, you know, if I'm Lionel Messi, which uh, four-year college did he go to to become one of the greatest players in the world? That would be none. Uh, and basketball players, that would be none uh, in many instances. So I just think that sport um, of all kinds represents that town square. And you know what? Pickleball is an example of that people of all ages, whatever, but it's more of an older demo um, and they don't want to quit. They still want to do things. Maybe they can hoop, but they can pickle. All right. I got to, I want to change gears for a second as we start thinking about wrapping this up in maybe five or 10 minutes. I thought this was just the first of six episodes. It is. This is part one. We're, we're, uh, yeah. I, I, think I we keep need... seeing Cindy going like this. Um, Joe, I hey, Joe, I think maybe we just do a separate weekly podcast with Matthew. <laughs> I think yeah. it would be great. All right. Sorry. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm just thinking about the barista, you know, responding to you saying, okay, boomer, based on, you know, your rejection yeah, of yeah, all the technology. Yeah. Um, but no, about, about sports business management, you're a proud graduate of the uh, graduate program at Ohio University, the well-respected right. uh, one. Uh, but not the Ohio. Ohio not the Ohio, right? No, no, just so, Athens, you were, Athens, Ohio. Right, and, and you were like an OG of, of sports business education because you were there a long time ago, which is great. Fitty, fitty, more than fitty years. Fitty. Yeah, wow, okay. So here's the question. Where does sports business education go? 
like, for example, I'll just to get it started. We didn't have analytics courses 10 years ago. Now they, it, it seems to be Joe, I don't know what percentage of our courses, but maybe 20% at Columbia. Yeah. And I don't know what it's Easily. like at Ohio, Easily. but it feels like the industry is moving really fast and programs need to figure out a way to keep up. And that's, I'm not judging anything that we're doing at Columbia or Ohio's doing. I'm just asking this as a general question because things are not going to be slowing down or getting easier. It's going to get more complicated. So and the competition go? for and jobs comp would yes, make your right. head explode. Right. And uh, you want to tie together yeah. the act, you know, the, the whole scholar <laughs> practitioner idea of the adjuncts being involved and preparing for the careers in these in this specific industry. You're that's the other thing. Like, connect as part of the answer. Maybe you can address this idea yeah. of well, I, I curriculums laughed. to actual preparation for jobs. Yeah, I kind of laughed to myself, like, wow, I've been in the business for 53 years. You know, um, how's that possible? And OU was the first program, UMass right after that. Now Columbia and many other higher quality educational institutions, uh, Northwestern, etc. There's 375 sports management programs in the United States and another several hundred in Europe. Now that's scary because some of them are never going to help the, the students my words, not anybody else's. Um, what's next um, is, and I'm sort of blown away by this, how many of those programs mandate that you speak a second or third language? And I don't mean analytics and metrics, I mean Mandarin, I mean yeah. Spanish, I mean French. If you most people, well, now a lot of American students can't even speak English, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other story or can't write in complete sentences. But I'm serious about this. If, if I was in school today, I'd want to learn how to speak Mandarin, you know, or, or Japanese or some other global language that would help me get a job in three seconds. Uh, because I could do that. Is anybody mandating that? No. Analytics and metrics, I take nothing away from it. But that doesn't measure heart and soul. Um, so if I'm working globally and not just, I want to work in sports in Chicago. Well, good for you. Um, you know, you got to think a bit wider than that. Oh, I want to be the general manager of the New York Yankees when Brian Cashman leaves. Okay, good. Call me when you get that job. Um, uh, oh, you want to work in the sales department of the Yankees? Uh, different story. There's 50 opportunities that you could probably go to tomorrow. So I very optimistically look at the globe as uh, offering incredible opportunities in sport. And I mean every place in the globe. Um, and look in the future. Um, how many people are thinking about LA 28? and writing their resumes to LA 28 because they're doing it today um, and other events that are coming here. Um, so the, the globalization of sport to me offers unbelievable opportunity, but have the skills that let you compete in the global world. And it's not just the numbers, analytics and metrics side, it's the humanization side of sport that I talked about before. So, okay, um, the quick follow-up there is, 
if you if you so the globalization is one part of it what what about on this issue that we were getting into before that you're part of with fcf of tech tech fluency let's call it like this ability which is something we talk about in my class with digital media that it's i believe important to know the key concepts to know the terminology to know the acronyms to know the the leading players and, yes. and all that kind of stuff um it just feels like the technology advancements are going to require more around that world of both knowledge and what i'd call flu continued fluency because it's not as though you learn it like a language and you're good i'm i'm good uh there's there this is a living breathing ecosystem that is producing new information and data and and stuff to wrestle with every day pretty much yeah. every day which makes it interesting to teach and i think study yeah. But it, it, it's hard to it's hard to like map it out five, seven years. Well, we I'm just guessing that when we were growing up in elementary school or high school, we had a math nerd as a friend or somebody in our class. Right. And we went, uh, all right, he needs he or she needs to help me with my homework because I don't get trigonometry or whatever else. I, I'll raise my hand. Uh, moron with numbers. Uh, but. I could flap my yap pretty well. And so what I'm trying to get to is you really have to love the concept of numbers, analytics, technology, medicine, you know, all those things that you can't fake. They're real. You have to have an underlying knowledge and capability. The one area that people usually, you know, sort of give you one of these is something called S-A-L-E-S. -E Very complicated. Um, and most people go, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. Well, no matter how incredible your tech program is, you're going to have to sell to have somebody pay for it because those companies are not giving it away for free. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just always believe from an opportunity section, it doesn't necessarily answer your question, but that you're always going to need people who are transactional sales experts to help sell all of the futuristic technology that we're bringing in fan control sports and entertainment. We want to get the latency like that word. We want the latency between fans making a decision to the quarterback, the pitcher, the basketball player in 10 seconds instead of 14 seconds. How do we lower that latency? That's going to take people who have technological know-how, not Joe or Andy. Just a quick response to that, Andy, and then we'll wrap up. Um, I had a guest in my class a few years ago from the digital media business and sports who had been on the revenue side and sales most of his career. And we talked afterwards and, and he said, do you guys teach, do you guys have any sales courses in your program? <laughs> and I, I kind of smiled and maybe chuckled even. And I said, you know, uh, it's a really um, disarming question because I don't think any programs that I know of, NYU, where I did a little work, Iona, uh, Ohio, Georgetown, Northwestern, UMass, I don't think anybody, I, I think it still amazes me. How perfect would it be? And how few universities can you get a BS in sales? 
Wouldn't that be perfect? <laughs> and, and it goes together well, BS be and sales. Exactly, or a master's. <laughs> and, and, you know, not to be too comical, that is very few universities. I know a few are starting it now in sales and transactional business, but that makes, it still makes the world go around. Yeah. And, I, I, and plus there's just an, an, a, a, yeah. an inordinate number of percentage of jobs for young people in the business relate to sales. Exactly. And, exactly. you know, you and I, uh, I think are in agreement on that, but I don't think it's crazy. This is my personal opinion, not representing the program to have a course on developing sales skills for the sports industry or something what like that. about columbia's school of commerce why don't we talk about that Ooh, like a whole new program yeah, yeah. they just started a new uh, a new uh, school uh, or excuse me program in our school of professional studies and, and i would political, just political no. analytics oh, that was just announced yeah oh that's really good and the runoff <laughs> really? will take do polls. three years from now after the election brilliant yeah. thank you uh, but <laughs> You know, Tom, easy now. Don't disrespect the big C. Come on. Uh, no, I mean, there's okay. just so much opportunity in revenue generation. Right. Um, and again, back to language and all that. If I'm a salesperson, I want to be able to talk to mega billion dollar companies in other countries who are spending money here. Uh, so the the borders are being blurred through dollars and i want to be able to have a skill in generating dollars mm -hmm. cool all right um, you want me to take them over the last yeah two i mean i think i yeah we got to wrap in a minute or two for me but i think we got a lot of the good career insights a lot of yeah. good advice along the way amazing i would say so thank you for that andy but joe you want to wrap Yep. So Andy, you are, uh, you've been involved in a podcast. You, you're a good listener. You read, a voracious reader. Where do you go to get all your information? Like what are the, what are your go-to listen places, reading places, both traditional and non-traditional? He's pointing to his eyes, everybody. Oh, sorry. Uh, my eyes. Now your eyes give you the ability to do all that, but pick your head up every single day, look around, pull your ear pods out, um, get your head out of your phone, look around, see what's happening, get a feel for your community or your office or wherever you're hanging out. And that's how I stay educated. I try mm -hmm. to keep my head not in the realm of the exorcist, but moving 360 degrees to see what's going on. Um, and I think that exemplifies and helps define other than, oh, I read these newspapers, I go to this website. I, I try to look at daily education as a funnel and throw as many things into the funnel as I can every day. And then it gets to the bottom of the funnel and I try to unjam it. If there's areas of communication that I just don't think are valuable uh, or don't create any kind of aha moments in my brain, I leave them out. So that's when you turn on the Cuisinart. I turn on, I, I actually, what I do is I turn the funnel upside down at the end of the day and I throw out the stuff that just doesn't relate, not to me, but everything that's happening around me because you know, we've heard this like Andy or I've heard Andy, shouldn't you be retired and playing golf and going like, screw that. I'll be retired when I'm dead. 
Uh, right now, there's too much other fun stuff to do. I agree. Oh, yeah, cool. here, 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 Andy. That's that's great. Um, I like the I like the uh, the funnel idea and turning it turning it upside down at the end of the day. I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that. Yep. Today, That'll five, cost you uh, three dollars uh, eighteen okay. cents and a cool Columbia shirt like you have. Yeah, well, Cindy, put that and a blue check mark. Yeah, Please. put that in. Uh, I'll take it on USPS. You don't have to. <laughs> oh, man, what a fun conversation. Andy, thanks uh, for spending so Wasn't there a last question? I thought there was. You did it. You just did it. Yeah, that oh, was okay. the one about, you know, how do you stay smart and current and stuff like that. Yeah. I, again, we oh. also usually ask. Oh, I, I would yeah. just say one other thing in that. Okay. Um, run, don't walk, run to chaos and disaster. Wow. Um, uh, oh, you buried, was, you buried the lead. Like that's, that's a great. Well, Joe, Joe knows this. I worked for the Philadelphia 76ers in my first job. We have a record that will never be broken. We were nine and 73, nine and 73, nine and 73. I called Rick Welts up when the Warriors went 73 and nine, five years ago. I said, Hey Rick, what do you think's harder? Nine and 73 or <laughs> 73 and nine. And he goes, Dolish you're a complete ass. And I go, I know that, but what do you think's harder? And he, and he hung up the phone. Um, there'll be a team with a better record than 73 and nine in the next few years. Um, there will never be a team in an 82 game schedule worse than nine and 73. So I would say to anybody everywhere, uh, don't just send your resume, no matter how cool it is, no matter how digital it is, to a team that wins the Super Bowl this year, pick the team that sucks and go to them. You'll have a job there a lot more quickly than a champion. And I've enjoyed being with you guys and Cindy. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, hopefully I haven't destroyed anybody's interest in being in sports because if a moron like me could get to any level of success for five no less than five decades too <laughs> andy easy. uh thank you um if anybody wants to reach out to you in the socials what do you usually like to recommend oh uh uh so i'm on linkedin but I don't like communicate on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> but, I but I don't want anybody to call me. <laughs> uh, Facebook um, is is a good one. Um, or, you know, if somebody wants to talk to me, how about this? Andy.dolish at gmail.com. Nice. Now, that isn't really my email address, but it sounds really great. <laughs> no, that's it. If you got a question yeah. and you're not threatening me and you're not trying to sell me something. Yeah, cool. I'm thinking, Joe, maybe Andy can do like a sports business comedy podcast. I don't oh, know yeah. If I couldn't have made it in this, I would have either been a really bad comic in Laughlin, Nevada, or worked at a bowling alley, but there oh, aren't bowling great. alleys anymore. All right, we got to wrap, guys. Yeah. Uh, Andy, uh, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We wish you well with Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment. Uh, maybe when we go back to our third or fourth episode with you, we'll be talking about Fan Controlled <laughs> Pickleball in a few years or something like that. So uh, we'll, it's we'll, Moonball. Let's let's look bigger picture. We're going to be on the moon, right? Okay. We yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. We'll see about All that. All right. Thank um, you, guys. Cindy, hey. Cindy, thanks for helping behind the scenes, Joe. That was a lot of fun. Morningside Heights or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, that's that's close enough. Yeah, Morningside right. Heights. That's cool. See you guys. Right. Thanks, Andy. Uh, okay. And everybody, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll see you in the next episode.